So we've been doing the series on understanding the times, and I just want to start off without any delay in reading from the passage that we've been going through, which is Matthew 24, and we're going to read from verse 1 to 14. Um, so I'm sure that'll come up on the screen. It says, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So we see in this passage the Lord describing and giving us these signs that would point to the nearness of his coming and the end of the age. And so as we look at this passage, we see that a lot of things are going to be happening as we move towards the end of the age, and not all of them are going to be positive. In fact, when we look at the signs that he gives here, there was not too many positive signs. There were a lot of negative things that the Lord described and said are going to take place and will be signs of the nearness of his coming. He said many are going to fall away. So this is a reality. This is a reality that we're going to face. This is a reality that is going to take place. Uh, many are going to be led astray, he said. And he said the love of many will grow cold. So we're looking at a situation, if you can just uh, put yourself in that picture, you can see that there is things that are going to be happening that are going to be very anti-God's people, against God's people. God's people are going to be facing challenges in these particular times. I think what we've been laboring over the last six weeks or so, and the point that we've been trying to drive home is the fact that we're actually living in these days. When the Lord spoke this, He was speaking futuristically, but we are living in the times that He was prophesying and foretelling. And we are seeing people fall away. We are seeing many people being led astray by false prophets. False prophets are arising everywhere. And we're also seeing the love of people growing cold, which is what Ian was talking about last week. So 
right around us, these things are taking place. The words of the Lord are coming to pass. And it's in this context, in the context of these things happening, that the Lord makes this statement. Those who endure to the end will be saved. It's in the context of this falling away, of people being led astray, and of people's love growing cold, that the Lord says, those who endure to the end will be saved. In other words, what is he saying? He's saying those who do not fall away, those who are not led astray, those whose love does not grow cold will be saved. Those who endure to the very end. So we're looking here at this aspect today of endurance. Note the statement that the Lord makes. The rest of humanity, those that do fall away, those that are led astray, those whose love does grow cold, will not be saved. That makes this statement a very important statement for every one of us. If we do not endure, if we fall away, if we are led astray, if our love grows cold, in other words, if we do not endure, the Lord says we will not be saved. It's only those who endure to the end that will be saved. And so I ask the question today, is this true? Is this a true statement? Because the fact that the Lord says it, I think, answers that question straight away. And not only so, but if we look through Scripture, if we look through the writings of the apostles, we'll see that this, this truth, this fact is supported by all Scripture. So let's have a look. I'm going to give you three Scriptures today from the epistles. There are many others. I'm just going to give you three. The first one is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. These Scriptures all bear up this truth. They all teach this truth. Is it up there? If we endure, do you notice that? If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. Let's have a look at another one. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. The Apostle Paul writes here, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That's God's plan for all of our lives. If, he begins in the next verse, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting, Notice those words, if you continue stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Do you see the if in there? Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. <clears throat> the writer says, take care, notice those words, take care, brothers, 
lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, in other words, as long as it's the day of salvation, the time in which we live, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Look at verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, so do you see this truth coming through in all these passages? The, the, those that endure, the Lord said, will be saved. There's no place for those who fall away, for those whose hearts become hardened by sin's deceitfulness, and who stay that way. It's those who endure to the end who will be saved. And we see this call to endurance found throughout the writings of the apostles. In fact, this letter to the Hebrews was written to those Hebrew believers exhorting them to remain true to the faith, exhorting them not to abandon what they had come to believe in. And if you read the letter to Hebrews, you'll see that that was the, the focus of that entire letter. It was to encourage God's people not to give up, not to throw the towel in when things got tough. And the reason for this is endurance is essential for salvation. I don't think we can come to any other conclusion from what we're reading today. I want to just also encourage you a little bit here as God's people, because we've been going through Romans, and what we have seen there is that God is absolutely committed to enabling us to endure. No matter how tough things may get, no matter what we may have to go through in life, we know that God is with us. And it's because of that that we can endure, that we can endure to the very end. And it's because of Him that we can have confidence, and I'll come to this a bit later on, of being saved. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. You can just go there, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Another translation puts it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. How many of you are called by God today? If you're a part of the church, you're called by God. The very word church means called out ones. So God has called us to His own glory and excellence. And He has given us everything we need for life and godliness so that we can endure to the end and inherit everything He's prepared for us. So endurance is needed. And God has provided the means, the ability, the grace that we need to endure. Let's just have a look at how God provides this for us. Firstly, He does so by giving us the Scriptures. He does it through the Scriptures. Romans chapter 15 and verse 4 says this, For whatever was written in former days, we're talking about Bible days, whatever was written in the Bible, 
was written for our instruction that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures were given so that we could look back and see how God helped the people that were his saints in the past. To see how he led them through the fire, how he led them through persecution, how he led them through times of apostasy. And so when we look at scripture, we gain great encouragement, great hope, great strength by just seeing how God has been faithful to his people throughout history. Look at James chapter 5, verse 10 to 11. James writes, as an example, notice that word example, of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. He's pointing us back to the Old Testament prophets, and he's saying, look at what they endured. Look at what Elijah went through, to the place where he said, Lord, I'm the only one that's left. He felt completely abandoned and alone. But look how God kept him. Look how God was with him in all his trials. When he was being hunted, when he had a bounty on his head, when he was living in a cave, when he was living in holes in the ground, God was with him through all his trials. He's pointing back to people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who went through the fiery furnace, and yet the Lord was with them. And so he's saying, look back to the scriptures. See the example that they have set for us. This example of endurance and perseverance in the face of all odds. Look at verse 11. He says, we consider those who endured to be blessed. And you've heard about Job's endurance. He now points back to the, to the lesson, the example of Job. And he says, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And so we can look at people in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, and we can see how as they endured, as they committed themselves to following God against all the opposition and challenges and difficulties they faced, we can see how God was faithful to them. And we can see what God finally used it to bring about in their lives. And so I may be speaking to you today and you might be sitting there saying, well, I'm not really going through that much. But we may. At some point in our lives, we may. And so the reason that we share this, this word today is because when that time comes, God can remind us of these truths. God can hold us strong and encouraged and full of hope because of what we're hearing today. Secondly, so he gives us the scripture. Secondly, he causes our trials. He allows us to go through trials. He doesn't take them away, but he causes our trials. Instead of defeating us, instead of destroying us, to actually produce endurance in us. Isn't that amazing? The very thing that these trials come to do, which is to destroy us, God uses to produce endurance in us, which in guarantees our salvation, guarantees that we will be saved. Isn't that an incredible thought? Think about Job. Satan came, comes to God and says, have you considered, you know, well, God actually asked him, sorry, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, but you know, he only serves you because everything's good for him. You put a hedge of protection around him. Everything he touches is blessed. That's why he serves you. Let me smite him. Let me put him through some trials. Let me afflict him. 
And we'll soon see whether he really loves you and is really committed to you. That's what Satan, in, in essence, was saying to God. And so what does God do? God allows Job, says to Satan, go on. He allows Job to go through those trials. And he's with Job in those trials. But what does he do? He produces in Job something Job didn't have before the trial. Let's just look at Romans chapter 5, verse 3 to 4. Paul writes, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, there's only one way we can rejoice in our sufferings. When we're feeling pain, when our hearts are broken, when we're going through such difficult times, we cannot rejoice in the difficulty. But there is something that we can rejoice in. And look at what Paul says it is. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Do you see that? The very thing that comes to destroy us, God turns around and uses for our good. He has a plan and a purpose, and it's eternal for our lives. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. God is working His eternal purpose out in our lives. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you're involved in various trials. How do we do that? That seems like an impossible suggestion, an impossible admonition or exhortation because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete lacking nothing you know i've noticed something in life in the few brief years that i've been alive i've noticed that the people that have gone through the hardest trials are often the people that are most Christ-like. They're the people that just have a quality about them that people that have just had it easy all their life just don't seem to have. There is something about trials that actually benefit us. Charles Spurgeon, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he said this, he says, it seems like we as people do far better in times of hardship and trial than we do when everything's going well. And you know what? That is an absolutely true statement. We do so much better when we're under pressure. What does that pressure produce? It produces something in us that we would never have if it wasn't for that particular pressure. I think of someone who wants to build muscle. How do they do it? They don't do it by sitting on the couch, eating crisps in front of the television. They do it by getting in the gym and putting those muscles under pressure. Putting them under pressure until they are screaming, stop. That's how they build. And you know that that's what builds endurance in us. That's what builds faith in us. That's what builds the character of Christ in us. We hate it. It brings tears, it brings moaning, it causes us to groan, but ultimately, we will come out, as Job said, like gold that has been refined in the fire. Let's move on. 
the third thing, God gives us grace so we can endure. God gives us grace. He doesn't leave us just to battle through life in our own strength, to face all the things that come upon us that we can't help, that we can't escape. He gives us grace. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul had been suffering. His life was one of suffering. And he asked the Lord three times to take away what he was suffering from. And this is how the Lord responded to him. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, I tell you, that is one of the most difficult lessons for us as people to learn. That God's power is made perfect when we are at our weakest. We always feel that God's power is going to be greatest if we are at our strongest or when we're at our strongest. But God has it the complete opposite way around. It's when we weak that we are strong. Let's just carry on reading. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell upon me. Do you know that is completely the opposite way to the way the world looks at it? The world says, never speak about your weaknesses. Only speak about your strengths. Never confess anything bad. That's what the world says, doesn't it? But look at what Paul said. He said, I will gladly boast about my weaknesses. You see, when we're weak, that's when we're relying on God. When we feel strong, who are we relying on? Ourselves. And so the trials come, and they make us weak. But it's in our weakness that we find God's grace is abundantly sufficient for us. The next thing is, even though God has given us these things, there are some things that we must do. And I want to just leave you with this today. I want to give you five, five things that we must do as we contemplate this aspect of endurance and we contemplate what God has given us. First one, realize the need for endurance. We have a need for endurance. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 to 39. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't throw it away. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, in other words, he doesn't endure, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we, and this is the encouraging word, but we are not of those who shrink back on and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls, endure to the very end. Secondly, okay, so we need to know that we have a need for endurance. When you feel like giving up, just say to yourselves, I have need for endurance. Second one, put on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 13, let me just read it to you. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Not strong in your own strength, 
not strong in your own wisdom, but strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, not your own strength, but His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What do we need in order to be able to stand? We need the whole armor of God. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, because of this, because of this battle that we're in, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. That is God's plan for every single one of us. Thirdly, okay, so second is put on the full armor of God. Thirdly, be committed to meeting together. Do you know how important it is for us to have fellowship with one another, to be able to encourage one another? Look at what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 to 25 says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, talking about endurance, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, what day? The day of the coming of the Lord. The day drawing near. We need each other. We need to be encouraging one another. It needs to be a constant, ongoing thing. That's why we're a part of a body. We're a part of a family. We're all there. When one of us is, is failing, when one of us is feeling like just overwhelmed, the rest of us are there to come alongside and lift that person up and say, God's with you. You can do it. We're with you. We belong to one another. We are members of one another. And that's why it's so important that we do not give up meeting together and we do not neglect it. We have a responsibility towards one another to ensure that we all endure. Fourthly, be people of prayer. Be people of prayer. Colossians 1, 9, 11. Let me read it to you. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Paul is praying for the church. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now look at this. Being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Paul was praying for the church. Why? So that they would have great endurance and and patience. And so we can pray for each other. When someone's going through a, a trial and is struggling, we are to stand in prayer and pray for that person. Why? So that they might have endurance, long-suffering, that they may be strengthened with power, with God's power, to be able to endure the trial that they're going through. Fifth and last, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is not just the founder of our faith? He doesn't just author our faith and then say, get on with it. He's committed to perfecting our faith. And then it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus. So what are the five things? The first one, can you remember? Realize that we have a need for endurance. The second one, put on the whole armor of God. The third one, be committed to meeting together. The fourth one, be a people of prayer. And fifth, look to Jesus. Let me just finish off by just reading two little verses just to really encourage you. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 18. This is what the, what the apostle Paul said in one of his darkest hours. When he was all alone in prison in Rome, this is what he said. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Can we say the same thing? Absolutely we can. The Lord will rescue us from every evil thing and he will bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom. Lastly, Jude chapter 1, verse 24 to 25. Look at what Jude wrote. Some of the most wonderful words in Scripture. He says, now to him, now to him. It's a, a committal. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. He's able to keep us. When we look to Jesus, we are looking to the one, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the one who is able to bring us safely into the heavenly kingdom, the one who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless, before the presence of God on that day with exceedingly great joy. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Father, thank you that even though we are warned that we are going to go through the fire, that we're going to go through the floods, that we're going to face hardships and trials in life, that there's going to be times, Lord, that we are groaning within, times, Lord, when we feel overwhelmed. Times, Lord, when we feel we cannot do it. Thank you, Father, that in spite of the fact that we'll go through such times and we'll experience such things, we have the assurance that you are with us, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us, that you are our helper, and that you are absolutely committed to us as your people, whom you have called. Lord, we want to thank you 
for the truths of Scripture that we've heard today. I pray that you would take them, write them on our hearts. Lord, may they never leave our minds. By your Spirit, may you constantly remind us of these words. May you bring them to our remembrance every time we need them to be at the forefront of our thoughts. I pray for people, Lord, even in this congregation right now, who may be going through the firest of trials, the most difficult times that they've ever been through in their lives. I pray for people, Lord, in this congregation that uh, may be wondering how they're going to make it, that may be groaning within themselves because of the trial. I pray, Father, that you would give them great strength and encouragement, that you would lift their hearts, that you would lift their spirits, Lord. Lord, that you would strengthen them with power by your Holy Spirit within them. Father, help us as a church to take care of one another, to love one another, to walk with one another, to be committed to one another, even as we are committed to you. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for every person here today. Thank you for those that are joining your church and being baptized, Lord, those that have come to faith. We praise you and thank you for each and every one of them today as well. We bless your name. Amen.